to Your Wise Self with Sarah, the podcast that invites you to embark on a journey of self-discovery, growth, and transformation. Join me, your host, Sarah, as I explore the profound wisdom within each of us, waiting to be uncovered and embraced. In this podcast, we will delve into the multifaceted aspects of personal development, mindfulness, and self-improvement. I will bring you inspiring stories, insightful interviews, and practical tips from experts and everyday individuals who have harnessed the power of their own wisdom to lead more fulfilling lives. Whether you're seeking guidance or how to navigate life's challenges, cultivate mindfulness, improve your relationships, or simply become a better version of yourself, Your Wise Self with Sarah provides the tools and inspiration you need, guiding you toward your own path to wisdom and self-awareness. Today, I am so pleased to welcome you all to my very first episode of Your Wise Self with Sarah and unlocking the vagus nerve, your path to inner harmony. I'm so pleased to have my guest today, Dr. Marlisa Sullivan, a physiotherapist and yoga therapist with extensive knowledge in the area of the vagus nerve. Hello, I'm really happy to be here. Thank you so much, Marlisa. Just a little background on Marlisa is that she is a physiotherapist and yoga therapist with over 15 years of experience. Marlisa balances clinical research and practice with education, speaking, and writing. She is the physical therapy coordinator of the Empowered Veterans Program at the VA. This is a comprehensive pain care management that integrates whole health coaching, psychotherapy, and mindful movement with a chaplain, psychotherapist, and physical therapist. She trains physical therapists as well as offers the mindful movement component, integrating therapeutic pain education, mindfulness, acceptance, and commitment with movement practices. She teaches as part of yoga therapy programs at Kripalu, Optimal State, and the School of Embodied Yoga Therapy. She previously created many of the courses and taught in yoga therapy and integrative health sciences at Maryland University of Integrative Health. She holds an adjunct position at Emory University, where she teaches the integration of yoga and mindfulness into physical therapy practice in the DPT program. She's the author of Understanding Yoga Therapy, Applied Philosophy, and Science for Well-Being, and co-editor of Yoga and Science in Pain Care, Treating the Person in Pain, as well as several peer-reviewed articles. Marlisa has been involved in the professionalization of the field of yoga therapy through the Educational Standards Committee of the International Association of Yoga Therapy, which helped to define the competencies for the field and in characterizing the yoga therapy workforce through her research. She is also part of the Global Consortium of Yoga Therapy focusing on international collaboration and development of the field. Welcome, Marlisa. I'm so grateful to have you here. Yeah, I'm really excited about being here and being um, on this first episode and getting to talk about one of my favorite subjects. That's so wonderful. Well, Marlisa, you were my professor at MUIH in the yoga therapy program. So we covered that you were part of developing that program. And I would really appreciate hearing a little bit more about your background and how you came to be involved with physical therapy and yoga therapy. Well, I started a journey into physical therapy through meeting this 
just wonderful mentor who was a physical therapist. And um, she invited me to come watch her work. And it was just like magical to see how she could look at someone, um, see what was going on. And really like to me at the time, it was like she just healed everyone with her hands. So I, I wanted to go into physical therapy so I could learn what she knew and how she did what she did. And through physical therapy school, I had become interested in yoga. And then once I was a physical therapist, I was really interested in much more of a like whole person, biopsychosocial, spiritual relationship to things like chronic pain and chronic diagnoses, chronic diseases. And so then that really led me into this realm of studying yoga. And for me, the, you know, because I had that physical therapy aspect, the part of yoga I was really interested in was more the philosophical and more the kind of subtle aspects of the teachings and the practices and meditations. So I ended up studying yoga for many years uh, with many different teachers, a lot from the Kripalu tradition. I met a yoga therapist that I worked with for several years and through that, you know, began to teach uh, anatomy and yoga teaching schools, began to integrate yoga into my work, became involved in the International Association of Yoga Therapists met some other like PT yoga therapists and we kind of created a community um, kind of me to where I am. That is amazing. Well, and I have to say too, when I met you at MUIH, I really appreciated that you had the background in physical therapy and then also this passion and interest that led you to a lot of research around the philosophy and traditions of yoga therapy as well. So for me, it's really exciting to have you here. I feel like I have a celebrity here um, helping me bring to life this very first episode of this podcast and how this even began was that I actually had somebody on my social media page ask about the vagus nerve and so I knew that right away I needed to ask you about coming on the show and talking more about the vagus nerve I know that you have a, a great interest in it and so would you just start us off with some simple terms around what the vagus nerve is and what it does yeah, so the vagus nerve is one of the cranial nerves, and it's the 10th cranial nerve, and it goes from the brain stem, and then it travels to communicate really to most of the organs of your body. So it has an effect on your heart, your respiration, your digestive system. It has this kind of widespread effect in the body, which is why it's something that's so interesting to people. The word vagus means wandering, so the idea is like it's kind of wandering through the body. One of the things I that I learned... Um, uh, later in studying the vagus nerve was that when I first studied the vagus nerve and understood it, it was always taught as a motor nerve. It's a mixed nerve, both motor and sensory, but that big effect of it was the parasympathetic effect. So that kind of rest and digest, slowing heart rates, slowing blood pressure, that it was really responsible for that kind of restorative effect in the body. But 80% of it, its fibers are actually sensory, not motor, meaning that 80% of this nerve is really about information coming from the body to the brainstem and then to the brain. And that's a process called interoception, where it's this process where the vagus nerve is picking up what's going on in all these different organs of your body. It's taking that up to the brainstem and then to the brain, where it's evaluated and integrated and assessed with memory, emotions, beliefs, thoughts, and then an effect is created. So while the nerve is very much responsible for the action of the parasympathetic and its motor branch, its sensory effect 
concept is just really important when we start looking at like the mind-body connection of how the vagus nerve is constantly evaluating what's going on inside of our body, picking that up so that then it can go to the brain so that a response can be created. It's so fascinating to hear how impactful that is and how that can really affect our overall well-being. Can you tell a little bit more about where this vagus nerve runs from in our body? Yeah, so brainstem is kind of like right at the base of your skull. So it's that part that goes from the brain into the spinal cord. It's the kind of middle right between that. And then there's branches of the vagus nerve that go from that that those nuclei in the brainstem and it travels throughout the body so that there's branches that go to the heart, there's branches that go to the digestive organs, there's branches that go to the lungs where they're constantly picking up and sending out information. Wow. It's a really extensive process that it's going through every single day, all day long. That is part of the autonomic nervous system. So it's part of the nervous system that we don't have to like think about our heart beating or our eyes blinking or, you know, releasing hormones in our system that our our autonomic nervous system is that part of our nervous system that is able to keep everything running without us having to think about it. So along these lines, Marlisa, there's something also called the polyvagal theory that goes hand in hand with the vagus nerve. So how does that work in relation to the vagus nerve? Dr. Stephen Porges is a developer of the polyvagal theory. And I can't remember how far back it goes in years, but he's, you know, worked and developed and studied this theory. He has lots of books on it, an extensive body of research on this theory. And some of the neat things about it, there's several aspects of it that to me, I really integrate in actually my own personal everyday life, as well as my professional life as a physical therapist and yoga therapist. But one of the things that Dr. Porges found is that, and really has kind of elucidated, is it used to be that the autonomic nervous system was always talked about like the stress response, the relaxation response. You're either in that sympathetic, revved up, fight or flight or you're in this rest and digest. And what Dr. Porges describes is that how there's really this continuum of neural platforms and that one of the things that he discovered is that there's two places in the brainstem that the vagus nerve starts from. And these two nuclei actually have different effects. So the ventral vagus, uh, which is also sometimes called the social engagement or social communication, is the part of the vagus nerve that goes out to the heart and really slows down the heart rate. And what he looked at is that this whole complex of the ventral vagal system, the vagus nerve that goes to the heart, but there's also other nerves like the trigeminal, the facial, like no nerve works just in isolation. And sometimes we talk about the vagus nerve because it's easier to just put everything on one, but the vagus nerve is the major conduit. It's activating in relationship to other things. So one of the things that Dr. Porges talked about is that when our nervous system detects safety, this ventral vagus system is activated. So that includes the vagus that goes to the heart, but also muscles of facial expression, muscles of our throat that create a quality of sound that's more pleasing to the human ear. And this system gets turned on to really help us create social connection. When you have the stress response, when the nervous system, and he he calls this neuroception, this ability for the nervous system to detect safety or danger, but that when danger is detected, then the sympathetics turn on. And that's actually not the vagus nerve. It's the it's along the thoracic spine. But that these sympathetic nerves um, create the fight or flight. 
But then there's this other response of the vagus nerve from the dorsal nucleus, dorsal motor nucleus, that really slows the systems of the body to the barest needed to survive. So in studying this response, he found that there's really this other response to threat we have that comes from this dorsal vagal response. And that is, it's not freeze, it's actually like shutting down and collapse. Freeze is a combination of that sympathetic and shutting down. Whereas like the dorsal vagal is like disembodied states, loss of consciousness, fainting, kind of an immense response to threat. It's just very powerful to note the enormous responsibilities, vagus nerve, as well as this whole theory around fainting, you know, reaction or response that we could have in our body and opposed to a positive reaction. And it, it also sounds like it's tying back to well-being. Can you talk a little bit more about the effects around that and how that does impact our well-being? One of the key things to me in his theory is, and his work is this idea of how like the nervous system itself through neuroception is just constantly evaluating through our five senses, what's happening in our mind, what's happening in our memory, what's happening inside of our body. And the idea is that it sets up a neural platform without us thinking about it. So I don't have to think, oh, like there's something threatening. I need to activate this this much or that that much. It's that everything will come on in a unified way. And the vagus is so important in that because it does connect all these systems of the body for a very connected response. And so, you know, we can have things like safe mobilization, which is a neural platform of creativity and play um, or athletic sports or dance where we're activated a little bit, but we still experience safety. And then safe immobilization is this neural platform where we can experience kind of those still states of meditation, but still experience safety. So it's this, you know, really looking at how we're experiencing our world, how safe our world is to, uh, to our nervous system, not us, and or how dangerous or threatening our world is to our nervous system. And, and that's like this key piece that it's not about us, it's about our nervous system, how it's gotten set up, what it's responding to, and how we can really begin to tune into that. So when we look at physiological well-being, like that idea of create, connecting to safety is really important so that we have that rest and digest kind of physiological response. When we think about our emotional well-being, that when my nervous system is experiencing safety, then I can experience those emotions more readily, like compassion and empathy and even connection to others. And that's one thing that's also been really key in my work and things like the compassion meditation, that it was often difficult for people I worked with to, you know, they could do it, but they didn't really feel it. But when we began to adjust their neural platforms, like to do practices that brought them into these neural platforms of safety, they could begin to connect to themselves and others differently. And when you look at like the science of isolation or the science of loneliness, there's a huge body of research that shows that when people perceive themselves as lonely, that they have more inflammation in their system, they have uh, more morbidity, there's a, a whole host of problems that can come on. And so when we help experience that neural platform of safety, we're helping the person to experience that sense of connection with themselves, to connect more readily and more healthily to other people so that then they're really creating this physiological, emotional, and even like behavioral social well-being. I think that the interesting connection to be made here, we have this fight or flight reaction in our body. Our ancestors, for example, were 
running from tigers. That was their fight or flight. And so today we are activated by stress in a different way. And it can just really increase that fight or flight reaction or response. And so some of the examples for us in the modern day might be the pandemic. That was a situation where people felt activated, created this concern internally and anxiety that provoked that fight or flight within them. Is that an accurate way to describe that? Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, I mean, I don't know what people think about transgenerational trauma. Um, But depending on how you feel about that, like this idea that like, you know, in our DNA, we just carry the responses to stimuli. And like, we don't even, you know, we sometimes don't even know how we're responding. So this idea of learning to really check your nervous system and to check what's your breath like, what's your heart rate like, what are your thoughts, your emotions, what are those qualities like, um, so that you can begin to see like, oh, wow, my nervous system detects this as threats. And there's something about that that is really empowering, I think, to people, to myself and to others, too, that I've taught this to of like, it's not you. There's no shame. There's no like, it's just your nervous system. And so once you really begin to explore that with non-judgmental curiosity, you begin to see this for whatever reason. And I might not even know my nervous system senses this as threatening or my nervous system senses this as safe. That's really helpful. So by strengthening the vagus nerve, we're really creating an overall well-being. We want to continue to build on that adaptive and flexible system. So it really sounds like by unlocking this vagus nerve and understanding this theory that we can uh, start to really achieve some inner harmony and better manage our responses to stress. So how can listeners begin to apply concepts like that to their daily lives? Yeah, I think there's a, a few ways. And and one of the things that I just said earlier is like this idea of like checking in, you know, like if you think about what are the signs of an activated sympathetic response, then it is things like your heart rate, like if you have a Fitbit or whatever, you know, that like those apps on your phone, um, you can look at your breath rate, you can even sense the amount of muscle tension that you're holding, like in your eyes or your jaw. So you begin to notice that. And then some of the practices that have been shown to help create that parasympathetic response, which is that motor response of the vagus nerve, is breathing is really powerful because there's just this direct effect on the parasympathetic system. So doing slightly longer exhales, breathing with a diaphragm, doing things like alternate nostril breath from yoga. So breathing is really powerful. From a a movement standpoint, this is where I think it gets super nuanced and tricky because there's not like a movement that activates the parasympathetic system. It's more like what movements does your nervous system experience as safe? So for most people, um, gentle rhythmic movement with breath is something that the nervous system experiences as safe for most people, not everyone. So things like breath-led movement from yoga or tai chi from yoga, doing more restorative yoga postures, like using props and supports so that you're really trying to get the system to like tune down or dial down to not be hypervigilant. For some people, though, doing a really active practice just to kind of get the energy out and get the tension out followed by a relaxation. So I think, you know, those are three different kinds of 
practices that could be restorative to the vagus nerve. There's also a bit of research on things like sound. And like with sound, it's like when we create sound, like humming or chanting, that that's been found to activate this parasympathetic response. So like singing, any of those kinds of things. That's amazing. And of course, right in that whole wheelhouse of yoga therapy and having a yoga therapist or even really good yoga instructors, I think can really help guide people through that. But it also sounds like some trial and error in terms of finding what works for people, what feels good to them in terms of that movement component. And then also with the breath practice, uh, alternate nostril breathing, you know, that, that can activate some energy or relaxation responses just because of how the nostrils bring in energy or release the energy. Yeah, it's so interesting, you know, because there's like a little bit of research, not a lot, on how like breathing through the left nostril is more parasympathetic activating and breathing through the right is sympathetic, which is interesting and who knows why, but like it's interesting that that research is out there. Um but yeah, like you said too, I think these practices are great because they're very accessible and like you said even though they're accessible, sometimes it is great to, to have a yoga teacher, a yoga therapist, another kind of therapist, in case there is anything that you need to personalize for yourself. Absolutely. So one of the things you touched on a little bit already, and maybe we can take just a, a closer look at is that interesting relationship between connection, loneliness and the, the vagus nerve. So is that something that you can just shed a little more light on for us? Yeah. So, you know, the perceived isolation research is really interesting because it's all about perception. So it's like if you could be surrounded by lots of people and feel completely isolated with no social support, or you could be around no one and feel connected to the trees in the sky. So it's the perception of social support and the perception of uh, loneliness um, that is related to negative health effects. So that people who perceive themselves as lonely have more inflammation, they have um, less of an immune strength response. They often have more pain interference. They even have more morbidity. And one of the things that has been found to really reverse those effects is what's called eudaimonic well-being or this um, like connection to like meaning and purpose and even connection to others or connected connection to your own values. So the, the vagus nerve is really this kind of mechanism through how the parasympathetic activation has a positive health response to the rest of our body. So that when we experience like positive connection with others or connection to our meaning and purpose or connection to our values, the way that that affects our inflammatory system, our digestive system, our cardiovascular system is through the vagus nerve because it is the wandering nerve that goes to so many organs so that whatever is coming in from outside of us, like that feeling of connection, creates this positive physiological, positive emotional experience. That's fantastic. And I have done a little bit of reading too about this loneliness epidemic that we're in. And so really by being able to tap into, is that a good way to say tap into the like tap vagus into, yeah. Tap, yeah. tap into the vagus nerve, you know, we can create a better opportunity for ourselves to be connected or feel connected, whether there's people or no people. And I think it's just an, an, an interesting time in our world where we, we're aware of this information and we have access to this. And we know that now we can tap into that vagus nerve to, to help us. 
Yeah, and I think, you know, it's interesting with the virtual environment, there's so many positive aspects to it, just amazing positive things. And at the same time, like, how do we take advantage of that while still not losing those pieces that are really important through our health that help? And I think the word tap into is really nice because it really captures that nuance. Like it it doesn't have to be a mechanical activation of the nerve, but it can also be more like the input, the stimulus that you're bringing into the nerve that creates that response. So as we consider the resources, you've given us quite a few opportunities from breathing practices, movement, social connection, sound. What other types of things would you recommend for our listeners as far as books or websites or anything else that you think people might want uh, to access if they want to learn more about the vagus nerve? Yeah, there is. um, So Stephen Porges has the Polyvagal Institute. So that's his website and uh, they have lots of different courses. You can also see all of his writings, books and articles. Um, one of the people that works with him a lot is Deb Dana and she's a she's a social worker and so she has a lot of great resources and books on the vagus nerve and polyvagal theory as well. I have my own, you know, in, in yoga and science and pain care, um, Matt Herb and I have a chapter on the vagus nerve. I, of course, have that book from school, and it's a fascinating book, actually, as a whole, especially people who uh, have an interest in pain and the science behind pain. I think that that's a really great resource for people as well. Also, you have a number of studies out there, so people could just simply Google your name. I'll also put some information in the show notes about your website and how to access that information. But really, there's a lot out there. It just depends on how much people want to really intake. And some people really like to research these things. And some people are just like, oh, hey, now I know I need to maybe practice some alternate nostril breathing a little bit more to help myself. Yeah, you can get as sciencier than not as you as you want. Yeah, exactly. I am so grateful for you being here and helping shed light on the vagus nerve and the polyvagal theory. This knowledge can empower us to take charge of our well-being and our inner harmony. So before we wrap up, do you have any final thoughts or advice for our listeners? I think just kind of building on what you said about practices can be very um, heady. You can you, you can really study the nervous system really in depth and get super heady with it, which is fabulous. And it's also like very accessible so that simply by doing things like by reflecting on, is my nervous system safe in this moment? How do I experience that safety? And then how do I do more things in my day? The nervous system learns by repetition. Um, So how do I take three things a day that are one minute, two minutes long to help my nervous system experience safety, whether that's connecting with someone I appreciate, connecting with a tree, connecting with some music, um, or doing a breathing exercise or a movement exercise. But what are like two or three things I might could do for a minute every day that would help my nervous system experience safety? Hmm. That's beautiful. And I think that it also really calls to getting on our mat with yoga because I, as a yoga instructor and the yoga therapist, but I think that sometimes think, oh gosh, I'm teaching the same things over and over. But what you just said really solidifies that that really that repetition and it's it creates a grounding effect for us and really helps us again go into that introspection and inside and, and kind of check in with ourselves and just make sure that we're doing the best to take care of ourselves. Thank you so much, Marlisa. I'm so grateful for your time and energy today and look forward to hopefully having you back at some point and we'll talk about some other fascinating topic. So thanks for, great. thanks for leading us off today. Really appreciate it. 